The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 13. If you have your YouVersion app, um, you can use that as well. One of the things we talked about this past week was after making sure that everything is plugged in, plugged in properly up here, today we're going to have all of the verses on the screen. So if you're new to YouVersion, I want to kind of just show you how we get to this event that we've talked through. Um, so this, this should be on the screen. Um, perfect. There's my iPad. So the perfect time to send me a text. It'll show up on there. Um, if we just go to like my Bible app is in my little Bible folder here, and it's the one here with the little red bookmark. I click on that. It'll open up version, And then down in the right-hand corner, it says more. And then on the left side, it says events. And it'll pull up a map of our area in a second. You're all doing this right now, which is why this is taking longer. Literally, that's why this is taking longer. Don't you love tech? Oh, there we go. Westway Christian Church. Um, that's the one you want. It says Westway Christian Church. Click on that, and then you'll see today's event. And one of the things, we do lots of things with this app that we want, um, we want to encourage you to use. Um, you'll find just basic information about us. You'll find a, a summary for this particular series. Uh, you'll see what we're going to talk about today. And then kind of as I scroll down, you'll see all of the different Bible verses uh, that we're going to be reading through and talking about. We also have discussion questions. Uh, lots of small groups here at Westway Christian Church, their content comes from the sermon. And what that means is, is they use these questions. These are questions that you can use at home as well. And then you've also heard us talk about Bible reading plans. If you scroll, keep scrolling down, you'll see the Bible reading plan that many people in our church body are going to be using this week. Um, there's a core group, probably of 18 or 20 people, um, that, are, that, that interact with that on a daily basis. And then there's a few other people who do, um, who do less so, and that's great. Uh, we also put a few other things. Uh, this week, we put an additional resource, a magazine article, How to Pray for Your Pastor. Um, you can click on that, and that lets, that's just a good resource for you. If you have questions about the message, you can submit it on there. You can give here. We just want to give you tools. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The role of our pastors and elders and teachers and leaders at Westway Christian Church is to equip you to mature in your faith. And this is one of the tools that we happen to, we happen to use. Um, this month, we're talking about the concept of foundations. And we're really wrestling with what are the things that are, that are the most important for us as we think about what this year looks like. And as we talked and as we prayed, we came up with four things. The first was the devoted gathering. We talked about that the first week of the month. And we talked about how, how the devoted gathering, when we get together in the same time and space, whether it's in this room or in small groups, or Bible studies, or on serving teams. There are so many ways that we can get together. We find accountability, unity, and maturity. And we don't have those things just on our own, right? Just me and Jesus, I'm not going to find a lot of accountability with other people. I can't possibly be unified with anyone because it's just me, and I certainly won't grow in my faith. 
So when we get together and we, we spend time in small groups answering those kinds of questions, we can encourage one another to grow. Last week, we talked about generous giving. And we talked about from the book of Exodus how the people were bringing all of their things together to build their tabernacle, which led to a question someone asked me after the 1015 last week, and we knew it was going to come up because we had talked about it in our staff meeting. They said, how come, how come no one ever stands in front of our church on a given Sunday and says, hey, you know what? You don't have to give anymore. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed that none of our offering meditations have ever been, you can stop giving, we're good, we will never again ask you for money. Have you noticed we've never done that? Well, there's a reason for that. This giving that we talked about last week was, was giving for the tabernacle. It was given for a specific thing. And when they had everything they needed, they stood in front of their people and they said, you know what, we have enough. You don't have to bring anything more. And then the person who asked me the question actually answered it, which is one of my favorite things in the world. When someone asks me a question and then they answer their own question, she said, you know, it's kind of like for VBS. Let's say we needed a thousand toilet paper rolls. When we got a thousand toilet paper rolls, we can stand in front of our church body and say, don't bring any more toilet paper rolls. Does that make sense? So we have, we have general giving, which is something that we're all called to do. It's a way for us to demonstrate our generosity. And then there are times where we're going to ask you for toilet paper rolls. And we're going to tell you to stop bringing them at some point. This morning we're talking about spirit-empowered or spirit-enabled and empowered serving. And here's the, here's the main thing. Spirit-enabled and empowered serving allows others to experience the love of Christ through us. When we serve in a spirit-enabled and empowered way, other people experience the love of Christ through us. I have two people in mind. I'm going to tell you about the first person now and then the second person later. The first person that I can think of, um, her name is Teresa Howard. I've talked about her before. I only have one story. Like, I only have one life, so you get to hear this on repeat. But this person um, that, that I think about living a spirit-enabled and empowered life that allowed us to experience the love of Christ is Teresa Howard. At, at, when we knew her, her name was Teresa Poland. We had just moved from Savannah, Georgia to Columbus, Ohio, and we were looking for someone to watch our three, our two children. We had two, John wasn't born yet. We were looking for someone to watch our two children, and Anne contacted Teresa, and I was reminded of more details of this story because I posted something about this on Facebook yesterday, and then Teresa sent me a message. And I was reminded a few more details of the story. So Anne called Teresa and said, we're looking for someone to provide daycare for us. We know that you do take care. And Teresa said, I'm sorry, I'm full. Well, then Teresa hung up the phone. And this is the part that I had forgotten. She picked the phone back up because she felt like God was telling her that she had to take our kids. So she called Anne and kind of t tells her this story and Teresa then starts to watch our kids. Well, then Teresa does something uh, really kind of crazy, at least in our minds. She starts to invite us to go to church with her. And not only did she invite us to go to Marysville Christian Church with her, but Teresa waited outside in the parking lot at the door for Anne to get there. When Anne got there with two kids, if you have children, you, you know what that's like when you show up 
as a, as a mom whose husband is working on Sunday mornings, you know what that's like when you show up at church and your kids are fighting across the parking lot? Right? Teresa carried, probably carried some of our kids in, carried their stuff in, took them to the nursery, got them checked in, sat down with Anne every Sunday, talked to her, engaged her in relationship. When Anne had questions, she answered them. And then over a period of time, as I started going to church, like I noticed like Teresa was always there. And Teresa was always engaging us in that relationship. And through her, we got connected to a small group where we asked all sorts of questions because even though we had had a church background, we really weren't Christians. We weren't living the life that Christ had for us. So we had lots of questions. And just over a period of time as we went through that, people answered our questions and they tolerated my ridiculous questions and, and they, they did all of those things. Teresa did all of those things. That church did all of those things because they were spirit-enabled and empowered and we experienced Christ's love through Teresa. That's, that's who I think of. That's one of the people I think of. And really all Teresa was doing was following the example of Jesus. She wasn't doing anything special. She wasn't doing something like a super, that's like a super Christian waits in the parking lot for someone to get there. No, that's what a Christian does. That's what someone does who is spirit-enabled and empowered. There's nothing special, and I love Teresa. She, might, I th- she told me she was going to watch. Like, I love Teresa. There was nothing special about her, though, except that she just was obedient to what God was calling her to. And as I think about, as I think about what that looks like in my life, And what I would love for you to think about what that looks like in your life today is you don't have to be a super Christian. You don't have to be a special person. You just have to be obedient to what God is calling you to. You just have to respond to him. So let's look in John 13, uh, verses 1 through 17 today. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry, and we're going to pick up at verse 1. You can follow along on the screen. Everything's plugged in. Should be good to go. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, aren't you go- are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well. Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. 
And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know all these things, God will bless you for doing them. So just reading through this, like what, what does it mean to serve in a spirit-enabled and empowered way? I think there are four things we see here. Spirit-enabled and empowered people serve to the very end. See, even at the end of Jesus' life, knowing what awaited him the next day, he served. Imagine that for a moment. You know that you are going to be executed the next day. Not just executed, you are going to take on the sins of the entire world upon you. The full wrath of God is coming on you. You going to feel like serving? Some of us wake up in the morning not feeling like serving because we slept bad the night before. Some of us don't have coffee in the morning and we don't feel like serving. See, this is Jesus at the end of his life. And my hunch is, I don't know that Jesus necessarily felt like serving. But he did because of who he was. I think spirit-enabled and empowered people yield their social status and privilege in order to serve and identify with the people whom our society deems the lowliest. Does that make sense? See, Jesus was the Lord and the teacher. Jesus was God. And what he did by, by coming to serve was he yielded his social status, he yielded his status to come and wash people's feet. He yielded his status to die for our sins. This is what spirit-enabled and empowered people do. Whatever their social status is, they give that up to serve other people. In Philippians 2, it talks about how, how Jesus didn't consider equality with God as something to cling to, but instead became a human being and served. You know somebody wiped Jesus' bottom when he was a baby, right? Can you imagine being the God of the universe and saying, I'm gonna, you know what, I'm going to let somebody wipe my bottom. Can you imagine that? There are probably a lot of us here who don't like it when other people take care of us. Anyone in that boat? Man, imagine being God in that moment, having to be fed. Jesus gave up his social status. Here's the third thing. Spirit-enabled and empowered people know that true servant leadership is often thankless and without earthly reward. This is a pretty thankless task that Jesus is doing. 
There's no earthly reward in washing other people's feet. And as I read through this and we talked about it, like Jesus washed Judas's feet. Take that in for a moment. It says that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Jesus didn't wash the feet of 11 disciples and leave Judas out. Jesus washed Judas's feet too. Because it's thankless work. It's often without an earthly reward. And here's the fourth thing. Spirit-enabled and empowered people know that yielding their lives to God brings true purpose and joy. See, when we... When we give ourselves over to what God wants for us, we find true joy. We find true purpose. We find actual fulfillment in serving other people. I wonder if you noticed verse 17. It says this. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. The way we talk about that here at Westway Christian Church is wisdom and knowledge that leads to Transformation. See, it's not enough to just have the wisdom and the knowledge if you don't do anything with it. What Jesus is saying, now that you know these things, now that you know that you are to serve other people, God will bless you for what? For doing them. He doesn't say God will bless you because you know these things. He doesn't say God will bless you because you have the wisdom to do what's right, because you have the knowledge to do what's right. He says God's going to bless you if you do what is right. And that's why, that's why what the thing that I pray for, one of the things that I pray for our church body, is that we will be filled with wisdom and knowledge that leads to transformation. That we will not be people who settle for scripture memorization and Sunday morning attendance. Because that's not, we're not going to receive God's blessing in that way. If our wisdom and knowledge doesn't lead to action, we're not, we're not going to be blessed by God. That's just what Jesus says. We're called to be transformed people because transformation is action. And that looks like serving in three different ways, submitting in three different ways, submitting to God, submitting to the church, and submitting to one another. Let's read, um, let's read Matthew 22, 34 to 30. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of, these prof of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So here's, here's what's going on. Here's a little bit of the setup on this. There are, there are three different groups of Jews at the time of Jesus. Maybe three different political parties, if we want to call them that. There are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. 
And what's taking place here is, is the Sadducees have just asked Jesus a question. And he doesn't answer it in the way that they wanted them to, so they kind of feel bad. Well, then they kind of like tag the Pharisees in. The Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't like one another, and they only came together to try and trap Jesus. So the Democrats and the Republicans don't like one another. They're only going to come together to trap Jesus, right? That's, that's kind of how this is shaking out here. They didn't hear what they wanted to hear, so let's, let's give someone else a go. What's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? And I think their question is our question. We see this throughout the four Gospels. People are constantly trying to get Jesus to tell them, what is the thing that I have to do to inherit eternal life? A lot of us have asked that question. Just tell me what to do. Tell me the one thing I have to do to guarantee I'm going to go to heaven so I can do it. And Jesus doesn't play the game the way that they think he should. He says, well, it's simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. See, this is, this is obedience to God. This is what it looks like to serve God. We're called to love him with all of ourselves. Last week we talked about an invitation to participate in generosity. And a question that it sort of leads me to is with the command to love God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind, realistically, can I turn down the invitation? See, when God calls me to do something, when God calls you to do something, and then he says, love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, we, re- as, we really don't have an option to not respond to the invitation. Now, of course, we can. As we said last week, we can ignore what God is calling us to do. We can choose not to. But the God of the universe who says, the greatest commandment is to worship me with all your heart, all your mind, and all of your soul. We can't say no to that. This is Luke 6, 46 to 49. Just let verse 46 penetrate your soul for a minute. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. This ought to sound familiar. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on a solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. See, is Jesus really our Lord if we don't do what he says? How can he be? He says the answer to that question is no. And what we have to ask ourselves again is what are we building our foundation on? What's the thing that you have built your life upon? Is it God? Or is it something else? 
See, those are our, those are our only choices. When we are spirit-enabled and spirit-empowered, we serve and we submit ourselves to God. And I would suggest to you that we're not building our foundation on Jesus. We're recognizing that Jesus is our foundation. I think there's, those are two different things. To not build our lives on him, but to recognize that he is our foundation. To recognize that all of our strength, all of our power, everything that we have comes from the strength of that foundation. He's the thing upon every other thing is built out of. And this is what we have access to as Christians. As people who have the spirit of God dwelling within us, that's what the Bible tells us, that God's spirit lives in us. He is our firm foundation. He is the thing that gives us strength. So we submit ourselves to God. We serve God. That's what spirit-enabled and empowered people do, is they serve God. And they also serve the church. This is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. You've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. See, as we we mature... We gather together and we find accountability and unity and maturity. As we mature, we serve. We serve where we are. We don't wait until we're more mature to serve. See, serving makes us mature. Serving matures us. It brings us along and encourages us and helps us to serve more. As a runner, you know what? You know what makes me a runner? Running. That's what makes me a runner. And I've had conversations with people like, I know I'll be a real, real runner when, when I do this, when I hit this distance, when I do this 5K, when I do this thing. No, you know what makes you a runner? Running. What makes you a person who serves is serving. And what I've found is that running more makes me a better runner. And when you serve, when we serve the church, we become better servants. What happens is we we start to really understand what it means to love God with all of our soul, all of our mind. We start to understand what it really means to love others as ourselves when we serve. Because some people aren't that much fun to serve. Have you noticed that? How many of you have ever noticed that it's not always fun to serve people? Right? It's not always fun to serve. But as we do it, our heart becomes more like Christ. Becomes more like Christ in that that night washing his disciples' feet. Serving other people. 
Serving leads to maturity. Serving is not about you. That's why it's called serving. Because serving isn't about us. And while there are lots of, of personal benefits to serving, to being a maturing believer, serving doesn't start and it doesn't stop with us. One of the things that we've seen over the past few years is we've seen lots of newer people coming to our church body. Some of them are Christians. Some of them are not Christians. They're immature in their faith. And it is the job, it is the responsibility of every person that is within this room to help them mature. It's all of our jobs. It's not just the job of our pastors and elders and teachers, although it is their job. It's the job of those of you who ought to be teachers by now. And as I was reading through this over and over again, like why? For those of you who ought to be teachers by now, why aren't you? For those of you who ought to be greeting by now, why aren't you? Those of you who aren't serving in our coffee area by now or in our nursery, by, like, why aren't you? And this text tells us it's because we're immature. See, that's the reason. The Bible sometimes tells us uncomfortable truths about ourselves, it holds us accountable. It leads us to unity. It brings us maturity. Because like when it's, just, when it's just me sitting at home reading this verse, I can be like, oh yeah, I read this before, not talking about me. But now we come together in this room and we read the text, right? And we have to ask questions like, why, why aren't we Why aren't we serving? Because our body, your church body, is depending on you to grow up. It's depending on me to grow up. This is something I've been thinking about over the last few days, like just evaluating personally the way, the way I talk about some things and some of the things I say from the front. Like, am I maturing? Am I growing up? I depend on you to make me more mature. I don't know if you knew that. It's your job to mature me. It was Teresa's job to mature us. She took that seriously. I want to read Hebrews 13, 17 to you. It says this. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. That phrase, keep watch, in the Greek means be sleepless. I wonder if, if you know, as a church, how many, how many times in the last five years that I've been sleepless over you. 
that your pastors have been sleepless over you, that your elders have been sleepless over you. My wife could tell you, usually it's like once or twice a month, it's the night when I wake up at two o'clock in the morning. Because I have, I have some situation or circumstance from, that I know about is happening in your life and, and like it just, it just wakes me up and keeps me awake. No matter how much, much I think about it, no matter how much I pray about it, like I'm just riddled with anxiety. See, that's because I'm going to be held to account for you. Because it's not just situations and circumstances that you find yourselves in. It's situations and circumstances where, where I've seen people like reject the plan that God has for their life. And how can, how can your pastors and elders not be kept awake at night by that? We're going to be held to account for you. We're asking you. We're inviting you to join the work that God has for us. And what, I almost said Paul. I think Paul wrote Hebrews, just throwing it out there. We don't know that. I think it's Paul. The author of Hebrews says that when you accept the invitation, we're filled with joy. And when you ignore it, we groan. The Bible says that when we groan over your immaturity, just say it. That's not for your benefit. It's not good for you. We love you and we care about you and, and we don't want to be filled with anxiety because you don't respond in the way that we are calling you to the way that God is calling you to. And maybe you, what you'll say is, well, John, that's your problem. You need to work through that. And that's why over the last several weeks, I've been talking to our pastors just so much about, I need to guard my heart during this series. I need to say, not what's, not what's on my mind, but be faithful to what God is calling us to say and what the Bible is calling us to do each one of us as followers of Christ is he's calling us to obey our spiritual leaders he's calling you to do that and we're not asking you to do things that are unchristian or illegal or immoral we're asking you to be dedicated to the gathering we're not asking you to spend every waking moment of your life here we're asking you to invite to give generously. We're not asking you to sell everything you have and live in your car in our parking lot. We're asking you to live generously. We're asking you and inviting you to serve in a spirit-enabled and empowered way so that others will experience the love of Christ through you. That's what we're asking you and inviting you to do. And here's the third thing. Spirit-enabled and empowered people also serve and submit to others. This is Ephesians 5, 21, and it's simple. It says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See what I like about that? Is it doesn't say submit to one another because the other person is such a great person. Did you notice that? 
It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what that means is, even when the other person isn't a great person, we're not submitting ourselves to them and serving them because of who they are, but because of who Christ is. This frees us from having to think about, are, are they going to repay me? Yeah, I sure hope they appreciate what I'm doing for them. Don't they know the sacrifice that I've made? All of that nonsense goes out the door when we submit ourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is Hebrews, excuse me, Philippians 2, verses 1 to 2. I only have one verse 1 in here. It says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? And I believe the next thing says something to the effect of, then make my joy complete by being unified. By being single-minded. By being together. That one is Paul. And what he's saying is, if, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, if God has saved you, if there is even a hint of God's work in your heart, then be unified. If God makes the slightest difference in your reality, be unified. Serve. Hebrews 10.24 let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. A few weeks ago, Richard Namath was standing up here and he talked and became a member. And he said something really kind of strange. He says, when I leave here on Sundays, like I always feel uncomfortable. Do you remember that? You all laughed. Right, I feel uncomfortable because of something I've heard in the message. And that started getting my gears turning, my brain. And I, I thought back to when I was a student minister in Lamar's, Iowa. We're sitting in youth group one night. I don't remember what the topic was, but we were, we were talking about something. And one of our students said, this makes me feel bad. Like what I'm reading in the Bible makes me feel bad. And because I used to really have people-pleasing tendencies... I started to say, well, I don't want you to feel bad. And I got about most of the way through that sentence and I thought to myself, wait a minute. Scripture tells us that it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And who am I to get in the way of what God is saying to someone else because I don't want someone to feel bad? Richard, I don't want you leaving here to feel bad every week. Right? We want to be encouraged. We want to be edified what the Bible has, by what the Bible has to tell us. We want to be built up. We want to leave here on purpose. Those things are all true. But, but the Greek of that 
say, statement in Hebrews is really more like this. We need to com- contemplate how to incite, provoke, irritate, and create feelings of indignations in one another. So that's what that means. We need to incite one another to go out and love and to serve. Not needlessly, not purposefully. Our pastors and teachers don't stand up here and think, how can we make people mad at us this week? No, we, believe it or not, (laughs) we have a reason we want you to be mad at us. Because we want you to serve We want you to live out the life God has for you. We want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want you to be obedient to what God has for you because we know, we have seen in each one of our lives that if I build my foundation on something that's not going to last, it's not gonna last. And if you build your foundation upon the Christ who dwells within you, you utilize him as your foundation, you will last. I, just, I wish, I want you to know that. I want you to grasp that. The other person that came to my mind as I think about experiencing the love of Christ is the jelly man. I feel bad because I don't even remember jelly man's name, which is the point. We're in Worthington, Minnesota. We have this children's and student ministry program on Wednesday nights where we have like 80 to 90 community kids all coming to our church. We're serving them meals. Believe it or not, some of the kids didn't like the meals that we prepared for them. Parents, can you relate with that? So we came up with this idea, like what if we, like what if we just put out a loaf of bread and a jar of jelly? Well, we did that for a few months. Can you imagine what that station looked like at the end of the night? And then we started having this conversation. It's like, what if we found someone to do that? So we approached this person and he and his wife said, yes, they would, they would do that. They would make jelly sandwiches. And it wasn't too long after that where every week, Wednesday night, Jelly Man comes rolling into Worthington Christian Church and he says, hey, I was at Walmart last week. And I saw some kids from WOW, that was what we called our program, I saw some kids from WOW, and from across Walmart, they shouted, hey, it's the Jelly Man. So everyone started calling this person Jelly Man. Who would have thought that by putting jelly between two pieces of bread, that would be helping someone else experience the love of Christ. And see, the thing is, I know that there are some people, if I would have asked them to do that, they never would have done it. Because making jelly sandwiches, there's not a lot of glory in that. In fact, there's no glory in it. Except when Jelly Man dies and goes to heaven. I imagine he's going to be handed some sort of jelly sandwich trophy. It's not in the Bible. But see, this is a person who's not living for the accolades that they can receive today, but living for a purpose beyond himself. 
if you are serving here, and I know we have a lot of people that do. Thank you. Today's message is not your cue to serve more. I had someone tell me that a few, week, a few months ago when we talked about serving. Someone, someone came to me and said, oh, I just want to serve in more spots. No, that's not what we want. I want to thank you. I want to let you know that you're making a difference. I want to let you know that when you work in the garden, people experience God's love through you on Sunday morning. When you greet them in the parking lot and at the door, people experience God's love through you. When you play your instrument, sing on stage, work in the tech booth, people experience God's love through you. When you bring items for VBS, help us clear the room the Sunday before VBS, people are experiencing God's love for you, through you. Thank you. Thank you. You're making an eternal difference in the lives of people. And for those of you who aren't serving, I want, to, I want you to know that God can use you regardless of your motive. I think what some of us have told ourselves is, I don't know enough to serve. I'm not mature enough to serve. I'm not ready to serve. Well, serving's not about you. See, maybe you'll get nothing out of service, but the people who are experiencing the love of Christ through you are getting something out of your service. Serving's not about you. God's put everyone and everything needed for us here, and that is, that's you. When we serve in spirit-enabled and empowered ways, people experience God's love for them. Where we are every single day in our lives is so that people will experience God's love through us. A year ago, our son John sat on this stage and we talked as he was going to CSF. He said something I've talked about once before. He said, the people who come to the University of Nebraska at Kearney who are international students, they think they're coming to learn a skill. They think they're coming to learn something about their career. But the real reason they're at the University of Nebraska at Kearney is to know who Jesus is through the international ministry at CSF. That's why they're there. And what I want to encourage you and how I hope and wish that you will grasp. You don't do any of the things that you do because of you. That's not why God has you where you are. It's not why he has you where you work. It's not why he has you where you live. It's not why he has you where you shop. It's so that others will experience the love of Christ through you. And when we, when we get that, when the church in Scotts Bluff County gets that, we will be unstoppable. When we grasp that we are where we are so that others will experience the love of Christ through us. Let's pray.
Father, I pray that we would that we would respond out of joy-filled, loving obedience to your invitation to participate in the things that you have for us. That we would see that when we live our lives in ways that bring you honor and glory, that others experience the love of your son through us. May we take that role, may we take that responsibility seriously. Well, we consider that's the most important thing we could possibly do. God, I pray that we would not be self-seeking. I pray that we would not serve for glory. I pray that we would serve you faithfully, that we would love you with our whole heart, our whole mind, and our whole soul. I pray that we would serve the church, that we would see that we have a responsibility to be mature because there are people around us who aren't mature and the only way they get mature is through us. Help us to see that and God, help us to submit to one another. Help us to serve one another, not because we are so great, not because the other person has something to offer us, but because of your son, Jesus, because you have made a difference in our lives. And if we don't take action, then we just have wisdom and knowledge. And you're not calling us to wisdom and knowledge. You're calling us to transformation. May we be transformed by you. It's in your son's name we pray.